Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, what's up, Gypsy Gang? This is chapter 14 of Gypsy Tales. Before I get into my guest today, just want to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Crush Oz, Crush Premium Bike Wash. Uh, we had a bunch of messages when we originally said that these guys were coming on board as a sponsor people uh hit us up on the dms they slid in there and said that they'd actually purchased some crush bike wash which was really cool uh and then i guess a week on from that we've got a bunch of feedback of guys and how stoked they were on the product and that they'd bought it so that's like really rewarding for us to recommend a product and you guys are stoked on it so really appreciate that hopefully we have some other sponsor announcements coming pretty soon and that's just going to let us be able to make more podcasts because like i've said before definitely having a lot of fun doing these keep the messages coming in on instagram and facebook definitely check those a lot and it's just really cool to see what you guys are actually getting out of this podcast we're definitely working on mixing it up and bringing you guys a bunch of cool and different guests. We have a ton of really cool ones coming up too, which I'm, I'm excited about, uh, especially one with Barney Miller, which we've already recorded, but is not released yet. So Barney and his wife are about to release a book. So we're just kind of waiting on the book to be available so that you guys, if you're interested, can actually get the book and I guess read the full story and some of the stuff that we do talk about. All right, with all that stuff out of the way, today's guest is Courtney Atkinson. Courtney's a good friend of mine. He's a guy that I draw a lot of inspiration from with how he attacks his, I guess, his work and the way that he uses the same motivation that drove him to become an Olympic triathlete. Uh, And he applies that same kind of discipline and dedication to his new venture, which is kind of a really niche thing for him he basically travels all over australia and around the world doing these crazy adventure races uh, but he also creates this really unique content where he races himself to the top of these crazy mountains uh, and he's filming it himself the whole way so uh, even if you guys want to check out his instagram before the podcast at mr courtney atkinson you guys would get a bit of an idea about some of the stuff we talk about. He just does some insane stuff, uh, especially his climb that he did in Japan, which we talk about in the podcast. So maybe before you guys listen to this or while you listen to this, get on, have a bit of a creep of his Instagram and you guys will get an idea of 
uh, just what we're talking about in the podcast. So without making you guys wait any longer, Mr. Courtney Atkinson for chapter 14 of the Gypsy Tales podcast. Crack a ball, mate. I'm going to crack this one first. I don't be... No, let's no let's can. run that sound. No let's run that sound. Um, Courtney Atkinson, mate, you're a busy, busy guy, and I appreciate you making some time for us. Yeah, man. Well, you're local, so it's easy, hey. Just yeah. drop the kids off school, and I'm straight Call down in. here. Um, are you busier nowadays than when you're an Olympian? <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely. Um, you know, like every day, I pinch myself, kind of going, "How did I end up?" You know, the things that I end up doing these days off being an athlete um you know never ceases to amaze me and every day is new every every day is a new opportunity and you know i just kind of follow what i what i love doing and it seems to roll on into some pretty interesting stuff yeah like if you look at your instagram page it looks like just if you don't click into anything and you see all the squares it looks like a tourism <laughs> tourism globe campaign like the your page is advertising to potential aliens that would want to come and visit the world the world <laughs> yeah Earth. well at the moment like, it's damn, uh, at the dope. moment it's queensland because that's who i'm working for right tourism queensland but um but you just did the like new zealand race and then you've done like the japan stuff so you've done yeah. so much crazy cool stuff over the last few years yeah yeah well um i'll have an update on my page in about two weeks i mean so so busy at the moment like uh I like to try and do it myself um, and yep. put put up. I, I suppose the idea of just putting things up for the sake of putting things up really kind of pees me off with, with the whole social media world, right? That The fact that people feel like they have to be putting something up every day. So, like, I try and keep it, um, I suppose, interesting. And, yep. you know, if it's something that I'd want to see, I kind of put it up. If it isn't, um, you know, I send it to my mum. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, pretty much... Um, Every day I'm looking at things going, how can I do something that's, you know, in my in my ballpark but doing something different, right? And that's yeah. how I kind of live that live day to day at the moment is, you know, we, we're all out there. We've all got cameras. We're all uh, doing sports. We're all doing podcasts. We're all doing whatever it is. And um, it's just how can you, you know, stand out in the crowd a little bit and, and but still kind of stay true to yourself and, and love what you do. So Well, that's kind of like the weird thing with social media is it was like almost like this democracy of like before it was you had the radio and then like I can't remember who I was talking about this on the podcast with but saying like oh maybe I think it was Todd where I was saying like like he's going to start doing some vlogging of his racing cuz he's going to the US and he's like I said to him well before like it 10 years ago if you walked in and you said oh I think it'd be cool for people to watch my racing you'd have to like go to a TV channel and you'd have to make a pitch and you'd have to shoot a pilot and then they'd say yes or no and then they'd try and find a slot in the day to play your show and the chances are that it's just not going to happen so like almost your fate is in other people's hands and then the networks and you've got to kind of fit in this puzzle but nowadays it's just like like same with this podcast like I'm not going to Nova and going, hey, I've, I know these athletes and i got these cool friends that I'd like to talk to. Can you put me on your radio? They go, nah. Like, nah. You know what I mean? But nowadays, so it was kind of like this beautiful thing in that regard where like anyone could do anything. But then on the flip side of that is there's so much shit that you have to wade through now of like selfies, duck faces, like there's so much bullshit. So it's like... It was what, like a great thing in one sense, but then on the other side, it's just flooded 
with so much crap that we don't really need to see. Oh, 100%. Um, but, I mean, that's the way of the world, right? You can't complain. You just got to roll with it. And uh, for me, the, the, the beauty of it all for me was that it, as an athlete, you know, we're kind of... I spent 20 years of my life as an Olympic athlete, well, building up to being an Olympic athlete. And um, your day just revolves around training, sleeping, eating. Like, it's pretty mundane. After the life of an athlete in the past, what do you do? If you yeah. can't compete, you've got nothing to really, I suppose, go out there and show. But um, Well, but I guess you only really get to go into TV land if you're lucky. If you're lucky, yeah. yeah. And there's only, you know, a few, a, a few spots there, but... Forget about all that. Now you've got the opportunity as athletes to go out and, and uh, I suppose, what you did competitively, show that in a way of, not, not recreation, but show it in a way that, you know, you want to express yourself. So, you know, the outdoor industry, you know, 10 times bigger than any sports industry I, I could imagine, right? Just, just the, for me personally, coming from the background of being, you know, a triathlete, endurance sports and all this, going into the world of just... Um, you know, exploring, expedition, hiking, um, adventure racing, all these things that encompass everything I love doing, but in a way that's just heaps more fun, heaps more adrenaline. Um, the market's like, you know, exponentially bigger and uh, and it's fun. That, I mean, yeah. in the end, <laughs> that, that's what it comes down to, right? You've got to follow what you love doing and, um, you know, going out there and exploring and finding new things, finding new places, Um and everyone else wants to kind of follow it right these days. And you talked about Instagram and all that type of stuff earlier on. And, and like it or not, people just want to go out there and find places that they can yep. then go and show others that they've been to. And in a weird way, I kind of like to think we're a little bit of a catalyst to helping you yeah. know that industry kind of evolve. It's funny. Um, I think that from when I first, like when I moved to America in maybe like 2012, I think, or 2011, I can't remember it just didn't seem like people were that fit. Like there wasn't this outdoor fit thing now where it's like, now it's like full hikes to gram, like just people wanting to do all this outdoors. But I think even if you go back to like 2012, it, we didn't really have that culture. Like it was way more underground. When did you like, cause oh, you'd know more than what I would about it. Like, did you see it starting to emerge and go like, hang on, like people are really, starting to get interested in this kind of adventure outdoor site sort of lifestyle yeah i mean i didn't know too much about it right because i was kind of boxed into this little world of um you know real elite athletics and um i think my first real experience was and this is going back to the mark mark weber challenge which we was an adventure race that mark put on down in new zealand over five days and pretty much you know he did you had all these hardcore adventure teams do it race um, you know, it was four, five, six hours across the best parts of New Zealand. But he'd invite in all these kind of other athletes in from other sports. So I raced with our Olympic gold medalist Kenny Wallace in a in a team, and was introduced into this to in, introduced into adventure racing. And mate, I just loved it. Mm. I couldn't get enough of it. So from that day, I kind of always had this. I was still racing in the Olympics in triathlon, but I had this skew of wanting to kind of really go and play in this other area and kind of once I finished my competition that's where I realised I can go and do this and then that's when kind of I suddenly realised like you open Pandora's oh, box oh away. wow like yeah. you know you don't have to be you don't have to be kind of pigeonholed into this one aspect you know you can 
I mean, I've been white, not white water, white water kayaking, but you know, kayaking down ra- river rivers with rapids, and mm. mate, I never was in a boat before I even started doing this. So you know, it's all new stuff to me. But as a, I suppose coming from that background of endurance athletics, you pick up things pretty quick, right? And um, I think generally people just love seeing the outdoors, and mm. you know, when you're stuck, I, and, stuck I, and I can understand that, right? Yeah. And you know, like the last week. You know, I've gone off the grid for the last two weeks because I've literally been stuck in front of a computer, you know, editing stuff and kind of catching up on a lot of work. And, um, you know, I'm kind of getting stir-crazy at the moment. And so I understand that feeling of I just want to get out and go again. You know, it, I need to get out and travel, get out and do something. Um, and that's what everyone's kind of feeling every day, you know, with a busy, busy life, busy world. And um, that's where people are looking at, I, I suppose, not, not myself so much, but just looking to you know other places to find inspiration as to what we can do i had a mate come around yesterday and he's like if someone just sat you know i don't want to go and do the research i just want someone to lay out in front mm. of me you know I'd, I'd love to go and kayak this river but i just want to turn up someone to accommodate me someone to train me someone to do this and and the end output is i have this great adventure mm. and i think that's kind of where the whole outdoor industry is going is there's a lot more what maybe was once just kind of like Everest base Everest base camp Everest hikes or um, you know these tours where you had Sherpas and everyone helping you that's kind of now starting to go across the board where there's trail running um, you know kayaking adventures and it's really bringing kind of a more extreme nature of um, tours uh, to people who want to go out there and do it so mate it's only going to keep booming yeah, it's, it's crazy, like, I guess maybe it's just got to do with, like, the information age as well. Like, we know a lot more about diet. We know a lot more about exercise. We know a lot more about what we need in terms of, like, functioning. And I think people are now looking for, like, happiness more than ever. So I think, yeah, you sort of enter this age of you know of information and knowledge and then it's like people are sort of going like oh i can't just work in this cubicle i can't just go to westfields on the weekend like that's not how yeah how like a healthy life is sort of achieved so i think it's like yeah you're getting yeah so much more information and then you know people like yourself and all these people in like that outdoor industry are really like i guess yeah trailblazing and leading a new way for for people and i guess it's well, it's great for society, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. the fact—I mean, it's not going to be for everyone. There's obviously demographics who you're never going to change, but there's a whole demographic out there at the moment of people wanting to be healthy, be fit, travel, um, you know, get off the grid a little bit, experience new things, and you know, that's that's great for just a healthy, healthy society. society. So, you know, when you look at it. Um, I'd much rather be kind of, I suppose, endorsing that lifestyle and, um, yep. you know, just r- realistically showing, um, uh, not I shouldn't say fake things, but just showing kind of that whole idea of, like a, like we started off this conversation, is showing things just because, you know, you went down yeah. the road to make something happen and, and get out there and make it happen and put it up there um, instead of actually going out there, experience yeah. it, experiencing it. And, um, and that way you're actually... You know, I'm doing this for myself. No, yeah. I mean, I can share it with others and um, in the end, that's a kind of a little bit of my business. But the fact of the matter is I'm going out there to do these things because I love doing them. And, um, you know, I'll keep doing that at the moment. I think that's where a lot of people that have success and I think that a lot of people 
if they're looking to do something like I guess what you're doing I guess anything people, a lot of people try and put the cart before the horse and they're like what could I do to be successful whereas you're going what do I want to do for me and then when you attack something so full on and so passionately and you know you really believe in what you're doing it's almost like actually getting the success from it and you know working with tourism boards and essentially you get paid to travel it's like that's that wasn't the original goal of it all you know no, no, I mean? it's absolutely. like that came second and i think a lot of people maybe get that backwards to like what you said i'll just go down the road and post this and tag a couple brands and you know hopefully something will come of it but it's like if you yeah, if you just do it for that genuine reason of like, dude, I'm just gonna go and explore and make this make this happen, and then you know maybe I'll post a couple of photos. So it's almost like yeah, cart cart before the horse kind of scenario. And I think a lot of people forget, and it doesn't matter what you're doing, how much work is involved prior to something happening. So for me, there's no way I could be operating and doing what I'm doing at the moment unless I had the credibility of 20 years. Yeah, well, not just an Olympian, but 20 years working, you know, my butt off as an elite athlete, um, making my living out of absolute really pain. Um, you know, in a weird way, I kind of think I deserve a little bit of, yeah, a, sure, you yeah. know, cruisiness at the end of, of, of all that. But no, this, in, in all seriousness, like that started as a five-year-old yeah. at a swimming pool here on the Gold Coast. Um, you know, my whole life, was literally this yeah just like one big job yeah to this end goal of you know being this elite athlete right um people forget that yeah so they see they see the what you know what you do now and think you know why you know why do you get to do that why you know how are you getting to do this how um you know you're you know i'm off in japan running around mountains or something like that like why well the answer is I've been doing this for 25 years. It's nothing new. It's just a new, a little bit of a new direction. Yeah. Um, you know, in a in a time in my career where you know I've had to, obviously, my Olympic career has ended, and I've you know had this new direction to go off into the outdoor world. But the fact of the matter is, when I plan things, I'm still looking at how can I do this in a way that you know I'm an athlete first and foremost. So mm. how can I do what I'm doing? Um, you know what records can I break like last year running around the um, you know for those who don't uh, probably wouldn't know last year one of my main projects I did was I ran up the tallest mountain in each state of Australia bar South Australia because we had a bit of a problem with permits but um, in seven days so one per day one mountain in Australia each day now without running bloody quick I was never going to get that done in the way I did it, you know. So my goal in that, you know, a lot of people have gone out there and kind of just done it as a travel, you know, hiking through the night and all that type of thing. But we were literally racing up that mountain and and going, breaking the record going up the mountain, the ascent as quick as possible or getting really close to it on some of the mountains that fresh fresh Olympians had run before. That's an athletic project. It's not like, you know, your typical tourism kind of, you know, I'm walking around with my mobile phone, standing up the top of a mountain, taking a pic. You know, I've absolutely destroyed myself going up there. Um, you know, needing to work out recovery, and that's all extra to just the travel and, and yep. the locations and everything like that. So, dude, that's what I wanted to mention. That so we did. We didn't even go all the way to the top of Bartle Freer. So <laughs> we it was 
Granted, it was 37 degrees the day that we went up there. It's in Bartle Frears in Cairns, right? So the yeah. tallest mountain in Queensland. Yep, so yep. it's the tallest mountain in Queensland. And um, we had a conversation about like when you went up there and doing the record. So we were standing at this place in Mabinda and we were talking about it. Then I had one of my friends from the States come over. And then we were down there riding and it was too wet to ride uh, the moto. So we were like, you know what, let's just go do Broken Nose. So, which that you've got Bartle Freer, which is the hang on, point. hang on, hang on. I, I recall the message was, "Let's go and do Bartle Freer." Yeah, we we, did, <laughs> we we ended up doing broken nose, but um, so we got it. You'd never seen like it on a clear day either, like because it's no. always been like really cloudy. And man, the selfie that we got at the top, it like I sent it to you. It was just pristine. You could see out of the ocean. But we went up there. It was like ridiculously hot, and it took us. I think it took us three hours to the top of um, Broken. Broken Nose. And you got to the top of Bartle Freer, which is an extra 2.5 kilometers. Because it's 15 round trip to Bartle and 10 from Broken. 10 from Broken, yeah. So it's got to be about 2.5 k's extra. So we took three hours to get to the top of Broken Nose. And you took an hour and 40 to get an, to the top of Bartle, which is an extra 2.5 k's. So that's moving, yeah. moving. It's well, we were, like we were all we were looking at the clock, right? And I think we got to you know the campsite where you turn, where you got like you got the left to go up Broken Nose and then the right to go to Bartle, um, and then there's like that big river sort of thing there. You know that? Yeah, yeah, that I, know. I'm yeah about? I got lost there the first time. Yeah, oh, <laughs> no, we're not lost, but yeah, we're <laughs> well, there. I think we got to there in like an hour and or two hours and ten minutes. So we got to there and you'd already summited and started coming down. Yeah. So like it's full on to do what you did, like just putting it into perspective. And it was, and hard. That was, that was, it was hard for us to just walk up there. We had packs with some water and food yeah. and stuff like that. So, I mean, we weren't trying to break records up there, but like that was hard, man. That's a thick jungle. You're on all fours. Like that's not a hiking trail where you can just like walk your way up there. Like you've actually got to climb up that ascent like it was full on for people that oh mate it's, it it, it's the hardest one in a, I think it's the hardest in Australia anyway you know there's this bigger in New Zealand you've got obviously taller around the world you've got taller bigger but this climb it's my favourite just because of the nature of it you're at sea level so it's only 1600 high which in the grand scheme of things isn't nothing gnarly right but you're at sea level so you've literally got in seven kilometres you go up a mile and it is that thickest forest. It's like yep. a spider web of, of roots like across the ground. Yeah, you're climbing, literally climbing up some sections. Um, when I'm not stopping running up that whole thing. Yeah, you know, like on some on some routes, obviously you got you're climbing, but literally I am never trying to walk up that whole that whole climb. But the the for me, I've done it four times now in the last uh, be kind of year and a bit. Every time it's wide out at the top, right? Yeah. I've never seen it on a clear day. So last time I was up there and I was near Babinda, I um, had planned to climb it again just because I thought it was going to be a nice day. Cut again. Yeah. Didn't bother this time. But, you know, it's kind of become my, um, I suppose, benchmark climb around Australia just because, one, it's just a gnarly climb to run, try and run up. Um, but there's whole, you know obviously Strava now and you've got all these yep. records and people being able to kind of go out on that course you've done or 
someone else has done before you and, and race you. So there's this whole notion of now that's a climb that I think's got a really good um, pedigree of racing up. Um, and each year the locals are racing up and then I'll, I'll try and come back in. So it's got this really good vibe going about it. But um, I love the place so up in Cairns. Yeah, and that just the the jungle like that's real jungle like you can't explain it to people unless so you, unless you're in there you really can't explain it to people i think one of my mates who went in the first day when we were just checking out the first bit of the climb you know the waiter whiles mm-hmm. you know so we're talking about um pretty much a vine but it's got all these you know real, real like fish hooks on it yeah basically. pretty much like little barbs on it you know and as you're running you don't see them and, and they can just flick across your face and literally rip rip your face open so the first time we went in there my mate he was running behind me with a camera and we we're just getting some pre-shots and literally got his whole face just straight off. But, um, you know, that's just one thing you're facing up there. And then obviously up the top, you've got the big, you know, the boulders, which are all, yep. you know, most of the time wet, which is, is quite a treacherous little little climb up there. And you're by yourself. No one no one around. So No one's keeping up. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, it's funny, like, the wait a while because we have a lot of people in America that listen that would have never seen them or know what they are. Um, it is what is said. Wait a while. Because once it grabs you, you're waiting a while till you get it off. Yeah, yeah. and especially, like, you're almost... You're lucky in a sense if it grabs your skin to where, like, you can get them out easier. But if it grabs your clothes and stuff, like, it rips your clothes and it's just stuck. And you've just got to individually pick out these little fish hooks. And when we we went up there, we got about... It was before the first water uh, river crossing that you've got to cross. And we found, like, a 10, 11-foot scrub python. Yeah. Like, just chilling on the thing. So, like, I kind of got my Steve Irwin on, grabbed that little fella... And uh, the whole time, Nick, that was with us, he's um, who I stay with in the States and I'm there, and he's just tripping on snakes. And, like, before we saw that snake, right, so we caught a snake at Az's place that night, and he'd never seen a snake before in the wild, never held one. So I, like, jumped in the creek and grabbed a spotted python, and I just gave it to him. And he's like, oh, like, didn't know what to do. So then he's like, oh, is there going to be snakes on the way up there? And I was like, yeah, probably. And then he's like, oh, any that could kill you. And I was like... Well, like Probably. technically, yes, <laughs> but I don't know. Like I don't, I haven't seen much that could kill you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, then, yeah, 20 minutes in, 10 foot Python and Nick was just on red alert the whole time. But it was funny, like he actually, I think the, the climb got so hard that he forgot about snakes until the bottom where we saw that snake. And he's like, oh, dude, I've just, I forgot about snakes this whole time. Because he was just spending so much time, like, worrying about the actual climb itself. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff in there. I reckon that was one of the runs I did up there was the worst I've ever been attacked by leeches. And yeah, I, I didn't probably not at a, Probably attacked is the wrong word. But, um, yeah, no, literally, I was... One run up there in the wet, I was pulling leeches off just to the point of not counting. I mean, by the time I got to the top, I'd have been 20, 30... 40, 50, and that's, that's, no, that's not exaggerating. Yeah, just literally pulling leeches off non-stop, so. I don't know what he's talking about, man. The day we went was perfect. <laughs> anyway, what's next? Know, we'll get on to something else. That. We're still talking about Battle for Um What I was going to say, that trip as well, we did, this is what really, um, I guess you think like, oh, I'm pretty fit and this and that. We went on that ride, me, you and Glenn, and we took e-bikes and you were on your cross-country bike. And we were, like, charging up the World Cup downhill fire road and you were just, like, pumping it out. Then you got up the top, 
got the drone out and there was just sweat <laughs> pouring off you and all of this was happening because you had to be back to bungee jump with your bike bungee at, jump the bike yeah. in like half an hour and I was just like I, I got home from that little ride and I mean I was on an e-bike and I was like pretty tired from it I was like man I don't know how Courtney does this so yeah, to your point before of saying that this isn't just something that I guess anyone I mean anyone could go and do it but the kind of things that you're doing on these adventures there's super extreme level of fitness that's sort of required to do it yeah well that day like you saw us you know I met you for the the beginning of that day so we're up just after sunrise up to the top of World Cup course and to be honest I was kind of crapping myself more on the cross-country bike coming down, down the World yeah. Cup course and bungee jumping the mountain bike off, you know? Like, that's the easy part. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there, bungee, I think I was straight back in a car. Where did we go? Fitzroy. I was... I might have been out on the reef by that afternoon yeah, or out on Fitzroy. Out Fitzroy. Yeah, Yeah, and then that afternoon, a chopper out to the reef. We filmed out at the reef swimming, which was bloody magic up in that part of, part of the world. And then... Um, by that afternoon, we're back on Fitzroy, and yeah, mate, life. And then the next is day, crazy. you're down in Mabinda to, to and, try and do um, the falls up there. Yep, Josephine yep, Falls. Yep, yep. Back at Babinda, had a look at Babinda, and then Josephine, and then fly back to the Goldie. So full on, because I mean, we've been trying to do this podcast for a while, so that's how busy you've been. I think just since we've been even trying to do this podcast, you've done the Cairns thing, you've done the New Zealand thing with Maddie, like you've been all over the map. Yeah, well, at the moment, I mean, my, I suppose with Commonwealth Games here on the Gold Coast in what, we're talking like only 35 days or something now. So it's it's like right on our doorstep. So I'm doing this job with um, promoting Queensland while the Commonwealth Games is on. So yeah. it kind of, you know, it's been super a super busy time because I've literally been trying to get to all these places around Queensland before the Games is on so I can show people, you know, what the Queensland experiences, experience is from... Not your typical, yeah. I suppose, tourism point of view. You know, this is actually how to experience Queensland and if you kind of like that idea of outdoors, adventure, a bit of adrenaline, whatever it is, um, definitely don't get your, your, you know, pretty dolly pics yeah, or whatever, yeah, you know. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's, there's, no, there's, no slide, there's no sliders going with me out, yeah. out where I go. But, um, yeah, so life's been super busy. And then the Commonwealth Games is going to hit. And uh, prior to that, obviously, there's this baton that goes, the Commonwealth Games baton goes around Queensland. So next month, I'm off with the baton around to these locations again. And oh, really? we're going to take, yeah, all the international media, um, well, a lot of the international media who are going to come in are going to go to certain um, places and we'll show them Queensland, try and get them to experience, you know, a little bit of what Australia has to, to offer, which, you know, for me is really cool because, um, you know, after all these years of, I suppose, me being the product of the athletic side of it yeah you know i'm getting to experience all these things that i've done for years but on a different on a different level so to go and take media out and show them you know take them bungee jumping take them out on motorbikes or whatever it is um you know in my backyard it's not too bad when did your olympic dream start like you said before it was like five years old like was it literally five years old where you said i want to be an olympian can't remember that long but I know there's a photo and this is this is like the typical photo or video I think Scotty James our snowboarder had like him singing the national anthem as a young kid Um, he was posting the other day before his snowboard run I've got this photo of me being 
who would have been around four or five with an Olympic flag behind me with a birthday cake, you know. So it's it's a byproduct of obviously the way the kid or myself is tuned. Yeah. But I think it's also a byproduct of parents, yeah. you know, motivating you. I never think my parents were forceful, but there was definitely, you know, your parents are pushing you down this way. That's, you know, you're good at, but you need a lot of help you know people it doesn't just happen there's a there's a whole team behind you and it starts at a young age but i mean i as far as you know talking about athletics how did i get to i suppose probably one of the more difficult endurance sports in olympic games or across the world now endurance sports ironman you know races across new zealand whatever it is um that development of an aerobic system to become an endurance athlete yeah started at four or five you know you're never gonna catch up down the road and that's why we produce so many good swimmers here in australia is the fact that you know five six seven year olds they're training like full on every morning every night um laps up down that pool it's just kind of i suppose when i grew up it was more you didn't have a lot of choice as a sport so it was a way it was just kind of that's what you did right you swam i think today's kids probably have a little bit more choices um, well, I think even outside of sport, they've got like video games. They've got like you know a lot of movies, TV, like all that. There's a there's a lot to keep kids indoors more than what there was when you were a kid, or even when I was a kid. But even from a sports point of view, you know the next Olympics in Tokyo is going to be a really interesting transition because then you're going to bring in things to the Olympics like skateboarding, mm. rock climbing, surfing. Um, when you've got kids at home who in the past have watched the Olympics and got inspired by runners and swimmers and all that, if they've got the choice of going to the Olympics to do surfing yeah. or I aspire to be in the Olympics for surfing or I aspire in the Olympics because I want to do the marathon. Like if I'm a kid, I know what I'm going to choose. So yeah, it's going to be a really interesting turning point, I think, because it's it's like where action sport is finally come full mainstream yeah. and it's going to give kids a choice of what they want to do to achieve I suppose what in the past they've been only seen they only know what they see right yep so if they start seeing these action sports now as a mainstream alternative which they are it's going to put a lot of pressure on kind of the traditional Olympic sports which you know I'm, I'm fascinated to see what happens after Tokyo I think it's going to be a um, you know it's going to be a real first for the Olympics but I think it's going to be a real turning point for sport in general yeah and it's interesting like you don't really want to suffer the way you have to suffer to do the sports that you do. Like there's certain sports in the Olympics, like triathlon and marathons and all of those endurance long this. You just have to suffer and you don't just have to suffer in the event. You have to suffer every single day in training for years and years and years. Like, and then, yeah, you go surfing, you can do it with your mates and you can do like skateboarding. You can sit down at the skate park and, you know, wear cool clothes and kind of, you know, be on Instagram the whole time you're doing it. <laughs> on so Instagram, like, that's what you're thinking. I was thinking about hanging with mates. I mean, if you think about us mountain biking and we have, you know, a really diverse crew of yeah. car, you know, car drivers, moto guys, Fabricators. Um, fabricators. <laughs> like we have the most, you know, it's a great crew, but we go out there because it's fun and you can hang out and it's yep. mountain biking, right? 
and there's a little bit of adrenaline. I always come back to this fact that we all still like to, you know, fun comes in at, at the ex, well, not at the expense. Fun is kind of generated a part of by, generated by yeah. being, you know, out of your comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. So there's two types of comfort zones. There's the one where you're in pain because something's hurting you so much, or there's the adrenaline side of being out of your comfort zone. So I think. You know, it is the easy option to get that kind of fulfilment, but yep. and I think you know, running long distances, triathlon, cycling on the road, or whatever it is, it kind of provides that fulfilment, but in a lot more taxing and a harder way. So, you know, it's probably human nature just to kind of <laughs> drift across to that side that. of like, yep. I can get that same kind of excitement and that same kind of adrenaline and wake my body up with that feeling of doing something else, and and plus I can be with my mates. So. I know like when I look at sport now, I think that's kind of the way everything's moving. Yeah. You know, mountain biking's just booming. It's exploded. Like, unbelievable of yeah. what... Because once someone tries it, I think they're kind of thinking, well, why am I riding my road bike when I can be doing this as yeah. a recreation? You know, completely different scenario if you want to be a Tour de France rider and you're a kid who, who wants to grow up and do that. But if you're just out there riding bikes for fun and fitness... Um, why would you be fighting cars when you can be out there in the forest having a having a ball? And you know that's what I'm talking about with the with the challenges traditional for, sports are going to face um, yep. moving forward. Yeah, the the big thing too that I've been thinking about a lot lately when it comes to mountain biking is yeah, you've got that social aspect, you've got the adrenaline aspect, you've got you know those sorts of things. But I've I've never like I would say that I'm pretty risk averse. Like I'm not really out there trying to send it sort of thing. But I think that what I get out of going as fast as I can go down the hill is I think that it it narrows in your focus so so clear that it's almost like a form of meditation because like what's the end goal of meditation is to almost like free your mind of all other thoughts and detach in a way but when you're on a mountain bike like um have you done clifton's at in cairns yet no. so it's like the top of Karanda and I, I use that as a good example probably because that's a really hard one for me to do because i haven't done it a lot so it's really technical there's roots and rocks and then the tree line's so narrow it's just bar width wide the whole time and if it's wet at all it's just so slippery so it's 100 percent of your focus and that is i think that same experience of um you know what people kind of look for in like meditation or whatever it's because I, there's not one room for thought other and external thought because if you have that external thought it's over and then there's real like real physical consequences to doing that when you are kind of trying to go fast so i think yeah there's like that's sort of something that because i've always been like man i'm just not really like an adrenaline person like i don't want to go bungee jumping i don't want to like i don't want to skydive so i wouldn't i wouldn't classify myself as that so it's like i think there is that element of just like taking everything away as well well you can't think of anything else can you i mean and that's I mean, that's the whole notion of even distance running. Eventually, that's what happens when it gets hard yep. or you can, you're thinking about you zone out. And that's why, you know, people, that's the endorphins of sport, right? Yep. And I was, just, I was running this morning and I went for a, um, pretty much when I'm time poor, I go out and I just do 12K as, at a pace which I can, can maintain 12K at like a, a solid pace. So it's not like flat out, but it's definitely not easy. And what it does is it actually makes me, switch into kind of my body into a sensation where I'm like I'm stuffed but I haven't actually killed myself yeah. and I was running this morning and I was thinking you know what like if I don't do this I wake up feeling like crap 
you know and it's it's a way that I've kind of it's I've probably a, a lot of history in myself of I can do that running but it's the same sensation that I'm just zoning out I'm putting my body through a I know I, I suppose a, a process where it's just cleaning itself out it's feeling good because it's exercising but I'm putting myself in that slight bit of uncomfort zone to make it feel kind of like 100% awake and then I get on with my day and mountain biking I think I, like what you're saying it provides that same sensation where you have to concentrate so much on what you're doing especially going downhill that you kind of zone out of everything else so when you come back off the mountain bike you're all pumped up with adrenaline it's but you're just ready to get on with your day and get you know you can just leave it and, and get on with your day whereas I think you know I'm not a big gym junkie person so I don't get those same feelings from the gym because yeah. for me you don't quite kind of get over that Bossy hump that. Yeah. of you know I had to completely switch off um, you know you're doing your reps or if you're doing something like short sprints at the beach or whatever it is you kind of do it and then you're back talking and thinking about things again yeah. but you know I look for those things where you have to just kind of completely forget what the rest of the world's doing at that point in time yeah because there is sort of like a tipping point of every ride of every even that probably you, sounded really really out there what's that oh that whole that whole explanation no, I, think, I just gave because no i think I, it's some, so true well though, it's hard like, to explain sometimes like people always go to me sorry i got off um off the point a bit but people always go to me you know what how can you run so far how can you run so hard or what do you get out of it and it it's really hard to explain and that's what i was trying to yeah. trying to get across is that there's something I can only get from running so that's why I'll, I'll always run you know I've yep. done swimming I've done kayaking I've done um, you know obviously riding bikes a lot and all that but in the end I'll always just run because that's where I get that you know main fulfillment out of it and you know there's a million sayings out there about running about what it you know the endorphins and what it ends up giving you but it's really difficult to just explain how yep. that how that makes me feel and I wish you know oh, there's so many run. I mean recreation running is huge and I think that's the reason for it but it's hard to explain to non-runners yeah. that sensation because they just think yeah, you, you're kind of batshit crazy why do you go and run all the time that probably didn't make it any clearer did no, it? I, no <laughs> I definitely get it and I think that like I've, I've been saying to Ricky like with some of the stuff that we've been doing with you know just working out and things it's like I'm looking for a hard reset it's like that's sort of my way of explaining it like you go into something to where all your focus is on it you can't think of anything else and then all of a sudden it stops like um yeah and then you just get this feeling of like so you come into it with all this baggage on you you've got stress you've got work you've got a deadline you've got a podcast you've got to record all this shit is like that's on the front of your mind and then you go and you do this thing and then momentarily you dump it and then it's like all that's gone and then you come back and it's like you've had this hard reset and then it's like you, you can start to slowly take things back in and instead of it all just being on you at the one time like it was before you started the activity you get a reset and you come back and then it, it comes at you more slowly so it's like if you do that every day to where you get that hard reset it just feels like it makes it easier for things to come at you as opposed to like you know say you don't you go a couple of days without running and you don't get that kind of hard reset everything's on you the whole time so for those whole few days you're wearing that baggage there's no point where you can actually shed that so i don't know if that makes sense either oh, no. we'll take that that but sounds like a better explanation that's sort of how i've been kind of thinking of it i wanted to ask you about um with the olympics the winter games going on now 
and there's been a couple of people say, um, and Rogan said it on his podcast about how he just thinks the whole IOC is just bullshit of basically making athletes that dedicate their entire lives compete for free while they make billions and billions of dollars and companies all like so you know companies like samsung and coca-cola and all these companies can make millions and millions of dollars off the back of what you've spent your entire life doing so i mean i guess as a someone that's i I mean i don't have a horse in that race like i can have an opinion but as a guy that's never going to be olympian like you've been there you've done it you've done the the road miles and the the work to get there and competed how does it sort of sit with you to be honest i've never really thought about it in that in that way as an athlete um or in my sport at least you know it might be a bit different from snowboarding and surfing and these professional sports that are now just being included in the olympics but but i think too, I like wait, if you look at sean white though he's yep. made like he's not stressing on money but no. a guy that's doing triathletes like a lot of dudes would have to have a job yeah 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 well i mean there's still a circuit but as an athlete, when I look at the Olympics, I just always looked at it as, you know, you accepted it for what it was, but everyone wants to do it. It's like having, you turn around, it's like having something that everyone everyone wants to be at the party, right? And you nearly pay to be there. Mm. Well, that's what we're fighting for. Everyone wants to be at the party. So you don't like, as just another member of that whole scenario and that whole big Olympic scene, you're not really thinking about that at the time you know you just go with the rules you do it you're part of it um it makes sense what what you're saying 100 percent. but hey there's plenty of opportunities outside the olympics i i like the idea of keeping the olympics as it is and i mean it is evolved there's no doubt that and we talk i was talking about the whole action sports side mm. of the olympics now it's evolving and as it evolves all of these scenarios and sponsors and everything else will probably evolve with it but you know I've come from the traditional sports, the swimming, the running, and the whole idea of the Olympics being that one pinnacle where for those sports, that's the most important thing. You're competing for your country. Yeah. That's, in the end, that's the number, that's the number one rule. And that's why the Olympics was so spe- is so special, is that you're competing for your country. So you're competing for more than yourself. And if you start bringing in commercialization to that scenario as an athlete, like from my point of view, you're starting to throw too many cookies in the pie. And you're doing it for the wrong reason. Oh, too many, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Cookies in the jar, whatever yep. you want to talk about. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure, someone's making a buck out of it. It's like any business, right? If yep. the model works, it's for probably the athletes have to stand up for it. But the fact of the matter is everyone's trying to fight just to be there. There's a few key, you know, high-profile athletes out there who can probably speak in their mind a little bit and like, and talk about those things. But... For majority of it, there's probably 20 athletes at that point in time who probably could have been in that. I say, take triathlons for example. There could be three athletes at the Olympics, three men competing at the Olympics. There's probably 20 guys who just missed out, and there's probably another 2,000 guys yeah. who would, you know, break down walls to try and be part of that 20. So it's a really hard scenario, I think, to, to yeah. you know talk about. Um, it's easy to talk from the top, yeah. But when you know majority of people are actually just fighting for it, that's the last thing on your mind. Yeah, and, that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean the whole thing. I go back to what I said earlier. There's always back. You always see the end result, but there's always a background to something. And if you 
the outcome of actually being an Olympian, making an Olympian, it gives you that credibility to then go out and do things. Mm. So you've got to actually take it on yourself to go out and utilise what you've got and if that, you know, promotes other, you know, partners and sponsors or whatever it is or jobs and, and whatever else, that's up to you then to go and do that. But it's nearly, you look at it the other way, it's like everyone kind of wanting it as easy as possible too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you this is what it is. Yeah, yeah. This is what it is. Deal yeah. with it, and yeah. and you go and make the most of it the way you can. Um, yeah. That's the way I look at it. I mean, you probably got some really like it's probably really valid points, but you know, what's the point of tr- if you're always trying to fight something? Yeah, just get on with it. Take what you've got and and, and move on. Well, that's that's the thing. make the I most mean, of it. Yeah, and the people like it's like I said. I mean, I don't really have a dog in the fight. Like I can yeah. have a, a look at it objectively, but I've never spent my life working towards the Olympics. I've never made the Olympic team. I've never got a medal at the you know. So it's like, what really? What is my opinion worth? Yeah, dog shit, really. But we said I mean? early on, right? You, you got to do it for the, everything you want to do. If you want to be successful, you got to be doing it for the right reasons. So, yeah. if the first reason is I'm worried about what money I can get out of the Olympics because you know m- my partners are on board or whatever else, well, you probably got your mind not on the right job, right? The first job of the Olympics is going there and racing, the <laughs> so trying to be the, yeah. trying to win the gold medal, right? That's that's the priority. Um, so it's really easy to say at, at the end of it or in, uh, you know, as an afterthought, oh, well, we missed out on this and this and this and this. But the fact of the matter is 10 years earlier, you're just training your butt off to be an Olympian. And then when the Olympics roll, rolls around, if you're good enough to be there, you're training your butt off to try and win a gold medal. Yeah. That process is pretty simple. Yeah. And, and that's like, sport, right? Yeah. And you don't have to, I guess, yeah, you're not really thinking about the money because it is it is like, yeah, the prestige of being an Olympian is like... I, I think that's something no one could ever take away from you, I guess. Like, in, I guess that for, especially for someone like yourself in these endurance sports and things like that, that's, that's the highest, it's like almost like a medal of honor, really, in a way, is like you earn this with all of the blood, the sweat, the tears, the miles. You, that's a badge that now nobody can take away from you. Yeah, it's an, it's an end point. And um, like I said, there's a lot of people fight to get there. And there's a lot of great, um, you know, there's stories over and over again about world champions who never actually, because it's only every, once every four years, they never actually even got to go to an Olympics. You know, so great sports people miss out. It's just something special about the Olympics. And you know what? You've got to give, you kind of got to give props when they're due, right? And the Olympic movement is an amazing beast. Yeah, true. And in a weird way, they have the right to control their own. You know, in the end, it's not it's not a government organisation. It's a arguably a private organisation running an event. Um, it's their event to run. So, you know, we can. It's like you can have people fighting at it from all different directions, have their opinions and whatever else. In the end, it's their event. Um, we all want to be part of it as athletes, and I think you, know, you're, you're, you deal with it like you, I just don't see the point of whinging about it yeah the, your party analogy is pretty cool because we've all paid to get into a nightclub you know exactly I mean? like, like, nightclub's not like hey we'll, we'll divvy this money up equally well listen uh, the, the, you know the other side of it is well don't go yeah I, I don't see athletes walking away from it yeah there, it was interesting with the because golf was in it for the first time at the last Olympics and there was such a weird thing because 
the I think that this might be where the Olympics has to readjust some of their thinking, right? So you start getting like the Sean Whites and Ryan Shecklers and Kelly Slaters and like they've got deals that are like ironclad worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. Like Rory McIlroy, one of the biggest golfers in the world. He did not play the he didn't play in the Olympics because he's sponsored by Nike and I think the what was the brand that the, oh, his country the probably, Irish team yeah, yeah. had to wear like Reebok or something yep, yep. and he just couldn't get around it he's like I would love to go to the Olympics but I'm in a, a 15 million dollar a year deal with with Nike and I can't put on Reebok sorry so it's like there but there's no room because it's Team Ireland so it's not even like the team they were even I think there was one argument they were making was like okay well let's make the Irish golf team be sponsored by Nike and then the Reebok was like well we'll just pull the whole thing and then Nike was like well we don't want to sponsor all of the Irish team we just want Rory so it's like that's going to be a, that, I think that will be a struggle if they want to get these big name guys that come from these huge sports and you know they bring with them their endorsements and they're pretty ironclad deals so I think yeah that might be the only sort of slippery slope when it starts getting into it yeah the basketball players with their shoes as well like LeBron James like he ain't giving up no true, true. no it's all it's all valid but I mean in the end that's that's for them to that's what happens when you know it's moving on and that's why I say I think it'll, yeah, be, it'll, it'll be, be a really interesting transition because you're starting to bring um, sports in now that are established purely as a professional sport and then you're trying to bring them into an amateur not an amateur because I mean everyone it's not amateur in the sense yeah. but an amateur environment yeah. where you have to adhere to you know strict guidelines of rules branding and everything else um, so that's going to be the whole challenge for the Olympics but I'm just excited to see what happens because you know I'm in in one way I'm kind of glad I'm out of it now um, yeah. and I get to see you know where that where the future goes but if you take for example um, my daughter right it can go on a little bit off topic here but rock climbing is going to be in the next Olympics yeah she's been fully getting into that huh so maybe it's the process of how people get involved in sports so she saw on TV America or on YouTube I think American Ninja Warrior and mm. the girls winning American Ninja Warrior were rock climbers so she wanted to do rock climbing because of an American Ninja Warrior. The flip side of that is the rock climbing then became the Olympics up until the point that I could kind of say, oh, but rock climbing is an Olympic sport. People would look at me like... Why, you, why are you pushing her rock climbing? Well, yeah. not pushing. Why is she want a rock climber? Yeah. And as soon as I could say, oh, but rock climbing is an Olympic sport, it was nearly like, oh, okay. yeah, oh that's all right validation. then. It's like validation. So like I said you've got these action sports now that are going to get validated yep. in in the traditional sense of at the biggest you know sporting event in the world um, people are going to start to flock to these sports and they're exciting like I mean I want to rock climb you've um, been doing a little bit of it with that oh mate yeah? I'm hopeless I can't even pull, pull one up <laughs> I'm all legs but um, no the, the, the whole idea of you know kids can now have a choice of I suppose sport that's Fulfilling, but also is exciting to them. Yeah. Um, but that's where it gets dangerous because for me, I you know, as a, and as a father, and this is again another topic. I then wonder where does that kind of leave the whole idea of sport providing discipline? Mm. Um, and you know, you learn you know in the traditional sense, you learnt a lot from sport for life. If you have trained from a young age, 
you learn structure, you learn discipline, you um, learn respect of coaches and elder, you know, older athletes and all of that. So there's a whole community that teaches you life through sport. I think um, too, like just to add to that, like learning how to lose because you're going to lose a lot in life. And I think that there's a something that comes from sport is to lose a couple games doesn't necessarily mean you've lost the season. And I think that that's a super important thing with life is like, yeah, you might go through a couple of shitty years. But that doesn't mean you're going to lose the game of life eventually. So I think that, yeah, being in sport from a young age teaches kids that like it's okay to lose there's going to be another game. There's going to be another, you know what I mean? So you're so right. Like there's so many lessons in sport. Absolutely. But then you take these sports that are probably, you know, I see action sport, which I've been obviously being around Red Bull for like what? Yeah. 15, 20, you know, 17 years or whatever. Um, I've been, even though I've been a triathlete, I've been kind of in ground in action sports as well and, and have mates in those areas you've got to say it's a bit looser way right looser. way looser way right looser. so the whole idea of sport teaching you these values that you know i'd say society hold pretty you know dear. pretty yeah. yeah pretty on a high pedestal then you've got action sport which traditionally has been you know the opposite right yeah. it's about freedom it counterculture yeah it's freedom counterculture um but also just you know kind of you know sticking it up everyone and then suddenly you've got kids in that area where where does I don't have the answer but where yeah, there's yeah. a question where yeah. does that then lead us as a society and into a point yeah. where you've had um, well it's like Scotty James is a good example like he just got a what bronze or silver uh, uh, yeah bronze, bronze or silver at the half up yeah we should know that we've like to mention him so many times on the podcast already but like I mean, he's a obviously a crazy gnarly athlete, but he ain't doing a hundred road miles a week, and there's not there's not a strict regime that he's like kind of sticking to. Yeah, so you are right. Yeah. So and then then you got it. So then the next question on from that is, how does action like some of these action sports coming into the Olympic environment and coming back to a more you know mainstream environment? How does that then affect their sporting culture? Mm. That's gonna that's gonna have an it's impact. Gonna it's gonna have an impact on their sports as well. So there's like it's just a really interesting time, you know, um, you know, to go back to the start of what we started on with the podcast of you know the whole idea of um, social media driving things and driving you know new environments, um, and then you couple that with sport and bringing in you know action sport and that into a sorry into a traditional sense. Yeah you're going to have this mix match of everything come, you know, five or six years down the track. I think we're going to be sitting here talking about a whole different platform of sport. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I haven't, until you've mentioned that, that hasn't been really on like my mind at all. And it is going to be interesting because it is so different. And you're right. Like the reason action sports started is because it was like all the dudes saying F team sports, I want to go and, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go surf and be creative and like express myself. Whereas for you guys, it was the reward came through extreme discipline and extreme amounts of punishment that, you know, you could like overcome. But I think there's something to be said for like, so with you, there's a certain mental game that you have to master to let yourself run for that long or swim that hard and just put yourself in this little suffer box 
So there's a mental state that you have to get to. But then you look at like a Scotty James trying to do a crazy trick 30 feet above uh, uh, ice. Like it's ice half pipe. Like that thing is hard. That's not soft snow. So there's a, there's a certain level of like that mental commitment there as well. So it's like there is the they're very different in terms of like the discipline it takes but there's still like there's some extreme mental capacity that the normal human doesn't have so it's like there is while it's not a you know traditional suffer and train kind of thing to to overcome what those dudes have to overcome to do those tricks is something special as well and skillful yeah i mean in the end you look, you watch their training how they've got to that you know that standard it's it's no different in um, you know we're talking about structure I mean the structure is no different they have to train they have to you know be so athletic to be able to twist and you know they they are 100% um, elite sports it's just it's just different yeah. right there's no matter which way you look at it there's there's sport through pain yeah. <laughs> you know that's the best word for it I mean you can it is painful. I mean, if you go down to a swimming pool here in Australia and watch, you know, training each morning, 5 a.m., there's no like, oh, I might just, you know, wait a little while or whatever, you know. It's too cold. It's 5 a.m., you know, in the pool, on the dot, a coach on your back, you're doing laps, you're, you know, the, the lactic you're producing, you're putting kids through, sometimes it's hell. Yeah. But there's an outcome, you, you know, you're doing that, um, you're doing all that so you've got this final outcome that makes you feel so good if you can win that medal or yep. win that race and whatever else. So there's always, you kind of look at it like that. But the flip side is you have friends doing, you know, with you when you're a kid. Yeah. You're in that culture. So if you're a swimmer in Australia, you've got all your mates. They become your mates. They become every day. So you, yeah. don't, you don't know any different. And, and I think, um, you know, to people outside sport, they probably look at, sports people who make it in the end and think well you've never had a life and to an extent i could agree with that mm. um you you are very sheltered um but the fact of the matter is your mates and your kind of niche and and people you deal Little with in society down, yeah. that's it that's your life so it's not good it's not good or it's not bad it's the fact that it is and yeah. and if you talk to a lot of kids who are in sport at a young age and have gone through that they don't look back at them thinking oh that was the worst life in the world they loved it because that's you grew up doing that like like now we'd go out and mountain bike as a group it was mm. no different we went to the pool and swam as a group it was just the fact the outcome was we we're you know r- drilling ourselves day in day out to um try and achieve this goal in the end but you know i think all that being said you're definitely wired a little bit different you know yeah. you, every, you're not you're not going to get everyone out there who can just go out and be an endurance sport athlete yeah um, and that's a whole different you know we're talking a whole different story if you take Ironman triathlon for example you've got a lot of people out there now achieving at Ironman triathlon so you everyday bloke in the office or or um, female in the office might go out there and do an Ironman triathlon but there's still a very 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 select few who go out there and race for eight hours mm. like at their red line completely destroying themselves you know you've got to be wired completely different to be in those scenarios and I think that's what still probably separates true elite endurance athletes from mm. the rest and that's not just you know that's across the board whether you're marathon running cycling whatever yeah. they're 
yeah, there's something wired a little bit differently. Yeah, oh, there has to be. <laughs> Are you not like worried, but has it ever crossed your mind that like your kids might just have too big of a um, like boots to fill in a way like when it comes to sport because like they're athletic like you and your wife are super athletic you're always doing stuff like they're gonna be in sport because of the way that they've been brought up like there's you guys are just active people but are you yeah like not worried but does it cross your mind that like oh man maybe I've set the bar too high like (laughs) for my kids and that you know like that might be a deterrent for them to go for something because you achieve so much not that there's pressure from you to make them do that but to be honest I think there's probably less pressure because I've I know the sacrifices it takes I've seen so I reckon I'm probably a little bit softer on them than what you know your average if someone's invested in their kids getting into sport I'm probably a little bit more blase and a bit softer on them than what they would be because I know I've been there I've experienced it I know you know to see it right through and I'm talking about right through that becomes your life Um, that's that's a hard choice and you know it's not just a choice you have to have the natural talent as well to do it so it's not a given in any sense but yeah I think the answer is I'm a little bit probably on the other side of that but the one thing I like with my kids and yes I want them to swim and I want them to run for the same reasons that you get that out of I it. Yeah. get out of yeah. it and, yeah. I, and I'd like them to have the opportunities if they want to in the future to be able to do you know pursue those the, the things I've pursued if they wanted to but by no means do I care if that happens or not to an extent you know if, like my daughter um, Chloe rock climbs um, I'd be more than happy. I can go and join her. Yeah. You know, I'd rather go and do that myself now than be swimming up and down a pool. So, um, you know, I'd much rather be in those sports, but I just want them to try. I mean, in the end, kids should be trying a lot of sports. They yeah. shouldn't be specialising at, at such a young age. And if, I don't know, if you're, you know, that old notion of golfers and tennis players is probably a whole different, you know, ball game of young prodigies going through. But in general, if you just looked at it as a, you know, a blanket. Yep. The kids who experience a lot of sports at a young age often find that eventually they find their niche and then follow through with that sport more so than a kid who's just pumped swimming from a, you know, five or six, just pumped swimming. And by the time they're 13, you know, yeah, they've, they've, had, they've had enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you travel much outside of racing when you, I mean, not even just when you were younger, just like until you quit racing professionally did you get to travel much for for fun or is this i I guess is that why you're enjoying this so much now is it like you're going to these places all over and you know you're still going there to thrash yourself basically which is kind of in your comfort (laughs) zone but like you did you not get to experience a lot of that travel when you were racing i mean generally if we raced i mean i traveling the world you saw a hotel and a race course that's exactly my experience with it yeah i mean you really did you'd fly in you'd go to a hotel you'd set up you maybe train on the course around where you're going to race you race and then you're out there quick i mean every year um i'd always come home with my family through asia and have a holiday kind of a beachy holiday and that was our main kind of summer holiday each year but life's different as a i won't lie like life was a lot different as a sports person I mean I was spending in my later years at Olympic competition I was spending six months here on the Gold Coast and then spending six months with my family living in France 
and I was training my butt off, but the fact of the matter is we lived in a country town in France and just kind of cruised around. Mm. So when I wasn't training, we are literally living this holiday lifestyle. So it's not all bad by any means. Like, I mean, that was a, a pretty amazing life. And my daughter for her f- first five years grew up like as that, half here, half there. And I think to an extent now that sport's over, we kind of miss that a little bit mm. because – life has a little bit more structure kids go to you know life goes on kids go to school life's got a little bit more structure when i travel now it's not necessarily to race it's often for a job so you can't really it's not like rocking up to the office you know mm. and you, sometimes i can depending on on what i'm doing but it's not like you can just bring the family along to your job um and and vice versa if i'm like we've alluded to running up a mountain i can't be you know they're not coming with me up a mountain so it's pointless of them traveling so my travel now is very niche in the sense that the outcome of what i'm doing not a lot of people can do with me and that's how all of this you know we go back to the beginning this is how all of this outdoor stuff started for me this whole idea of um creating i suppose experience content in the outdoors is i'm often doing things that others just physically can't get cameras into or yep. drones or whatever it is and two they just don't have the, the you know the physical capabilities to be in the places i am at going that fast so like what i can do in a day and get in and show people or run up to wherever i want to go you know others might be taking four days to hike in there and mm. and you know people, like people want to battle, yeah yeah shuttle in like massive cameras in helicopters or whatever so they see one part where they can land a chopper whereas like the flip side is i might be running up a valley and i can show all the kind of you know nooks and crannies and the best parts of a valley that no one else gets to see but i can do that in a day yeah i'm not taking i'm not hiking and taking five or six days to do it so um, like I said, every that's how that's what led me down this path of kind of what I do at the moment, and that's showing these experiences that are um, sometimes you know probably more on the ex- extreme side of it of adventure, mm. but at the same time I'm kind of showing people, oh, you can get out there and do this. You there's no reason this. you can't yeah. go and do this. You're probably not going to do it at the pace I'm doing it, yeah. But there's no reason you can't go and see this if it you know tickles your fancy. Um, so what's on your bucket list? Like what's com- what's coming up? Um, if you could do anything right now, what would be the thing that you would want to go do? Because we sort of half spoke about Everest a little bit at, at Az's place. Yeah, no. Well, funny enough, another mountain, another mountain climb, but more around. I can't say too much, but around more um, kind of like naturalists and are about the environment and, and looking at those types of things has come up around some mountains that you know I'm kind of getting pitched some really interesting opportunities which are way out of my wheelhouse at the moment which is really exciting but at the same time I'm still loving I mean I need to run and I, yeah. I, you know I still I haven't I haven't completely you're not going to move away from those I haven't finished reasons. being an athlete I mean I still moving super fast and and um you know I love training every day um, and all those things so until I'm kind of got that completely out of my system I won't get onto these other things but I don't have a bucket list to be honest Um, just gonna say yes to cool shit I I just the best thing at the moment is people they see what I do and then they come and pitch me their Mm. ideas and often I just turn around oh look you know 9 out of 10 I kind of go yeah yeah and then one will come up and you just go oh do you mind if I did do you mind if I run with this because it's like this is awesome and that's how the um the whole idea of the 
the mountain running project around Australia come up. Yep. I mean, it's, it wasn't new. I'm not trying to sit here and say I invented it or anything. I mean, hikers have been doing it. You know, they've been ticking these mountains off their bucket list over years and they hike in and do whatever for years. We just took it and, and kind of made it. Put your extreme a, twist on well, it. Well, we just, we just took it and went, let's just go and do it the way they do it, but let's see how quickly we can run up each of these mountains and just do it in a short amount of time because that seems, you know, a pretty cool thing to do and, and seems interesting and it's a challenge because you look at it and you think running up one day like because we're kind of running like half mountain half marathon pace Mm. um you know day in day out at race pace and the travel in between it it provided all of these kind of challenges to us to myself as an athlete of how do you recover how do you eat how do you sleep all of these extra things that you'd never think about if you just had a one-off event so that's what provided i suppose for me that's what gets me excited about Mm. these types of things so it has to be a uh, you know, you know, you might want to call it a project, but it has to be kind of like an idea or a project that I turn around and go, "Well, that gets me excited. Let's go and try it." So that pushes some of those competitive buttons that are sort of really deep there. Uh, absolutely, and and often that just can be just the terrain. When people are, uh, we often say, "Oh, well, let's go and try and run there." I'm like, "Well, we don't really know what's up there," or you know, we've seen some people hiking, and they've given us kind of half-baked photos of what it might be well the whole enjoyment of it is when you get there and you finally see it um more often than not i'd say you know nine out of ten times it's always better than what you think yeah these places because we're not just running out into any place for the sake of it i mean we like i'm sitting there on google maps you know one of my a story is probably one of my more, more successful um I suppose locations I ended up last year in Japan which completely was unplanned Um, I was up in Japan uh, actually doing some recon for a climber so I was filming I was droning certain he's a fellow Red Bull guy yeah so I was up there with yeah up in Red up up in Japan on these on a place called Oki Islands which is like these remote islands um, up north of Japan and I was filming I was literally had my drone with me filming these places to try and work out where climbers could go and I looked on Google Maps and I saw this um, it's kind of like I knew a place out the back here of the Gold Coast that has a certain look to it on a map and it's like just a thin line and that often just says there's a major kind of rock ridge there and 9 out of 10 times you'll never see them because you'll just pass over them and they just look like a mistake on a on Google Maps I saw one on this island and I thought perfect we'll get up there so I got a, I got a local guide to get me into the area where it was because um, I had no idea how to get there where it was even if it existed if yeah. it wasn't a glitch even if it wasn't just a glitch we, yeah. we, we didn't know but my idea was I'd get out there and run across it when we got there did they tell you like when you said to the guides like this is where I want to go were they going like no 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 or like oh, did, you, did they have any feedback for you like did, or did they just not even know what was up well there? they didn't speak English first yeah, so they, okay. um, if they did I didn't really realise <laughs> or not but when we got there we finally got up and bush bashed through up to this kind of uh, ridge line and the top of the ridge was my hand size it was like nothing I'd seen there was nothing else in the environment like it up there but it was just this one ridge jutting out and the size of my hand and in hindsight it was just kind of a bit dumb without ropes on and stuff like that but we were there and like we said it's all about you know you just that would have looked so good to you you're pumped up and you're like i'm here we've got i've got these guys have brought me out so we just went out and you know went across it and in the in the 
I suppose in hindsight, people love the idea of seeing things that have a bit of danger, right? I mean, it's more exciting than just I'd running along a road. I'd say that had more than a bit of danger. Like, how how far down did that go? Like, it was over if you fell. Like, there's just no way around it. Yeah, I mean, it was... There were cliffs, yeah. It was how two, far, you reckon? Maybe 100, 100 150 metres or whatever. But, I, I mean, it was, it was simple climbing. It's like that old, that old kind of story of, you know, you put a bit of a... You put a bit of a log across between two rocks. If you put it on the ground and walk it, no trouble. Yeah. You put it four foot in the air and suddenly, you know, you're wobbling and whatever else. I mean, the same idea is no matter where you are, if that was on the ground out here in the car park, I would have done it every day of the year. It was just the fact that you're up 100, 200 metres. But the thing to me was just the actually environment. I'd never seen anything like it. It had literally was a probably... I don't know, maybe a good 250 metres long of this rock jutting out of, like, nowhere, but it it finished to the point of the size of your hand and just in the top. And, you know, it was crazy. You could kind of skirt... I could kind of skirt along holding, you know, on the edge and skirt along a little bit, and there was a few drops we had to jump across and things like that. But to me, it was just the fact that we'd found something that we had no idea of what it was and the excitement of that then drove me to do it yeah um i'll look at it now and go well it's great we did it but i probably wouldn't do it again again. (laughs) (laughs) you could you'd have to think like no one would have ever done that before like you know what i mean like what's the odds that someone's climbed down to the edge of that wow you don't know i i have no idea i mean someone may have done it may have not and that's and that's the beauty of this whole um you know i'm not out there saying there's not much out there that hasn't been done these days, like especially yeah. from the point of view of people hiking in and finding areas or locations. Yeah. Um, what I suppose I provide is I can one filament in a filament in a reasonably semi-professional way yeah. um, to show it without you know you see a lot of footage these days of people just going in and with GoPros and it's yeah. just all over the place. I mean we you know through years and years of being around production crews it's kind of like you've i've got an idea yeah, of what idea. will work um obviously drone the, the invent of small drones has helped massively to kind of just show an overview of the location instead of just showing gopro of of um what you're actually on but um the main thing is i'm not trying to say this is the first time done i'm just bringing it to a, a bigger audience right audience, yeah yeah and and to be honest we've kind of copped sometimes you cop a little bit of backlash because there's people out there who've who've done it but then we go ahead and kind of i suppose like showcase it yeah like take it to put it in a package in a way that people look at it and go oh wow and they kind of it's their first time like the audience we're showing it to it's their first time they've seen it so i can fully understand that sometimes people who've actually been there are like but oh hang on we've we've done this um but what what can you do? What, mm. Don't ever go anywhere that you know someone's already been. Um, we try and find obviously new spots, but I often see. I mean, that's how we get our inspiration too. I look at other sports, and it might be, you know, like I see um, Johnny Duran Jr., our uh, Rebel hand glider here in Australia. You know, he might fly over a certain location, and I'll look at it and go, "Oh, perfect!" No, yeah. You know, that's one I'm going to just jot down, and you know, we might end up there, going out there and exploring by foot a little bit later hikers have probably gone through there yeah taking a few photos whatever else but we'll go in there and try and do something um you know put our own spin on it yeah and what um 
was gonna say like how much did that japan clip help your career in a way was there any was there like a big sort of career benefit that came from that where people because i mean it went pretty nuts on red bull's facebook page so like was there a pretty positive follow-on effect from that clip well i think it's just putting yourself in new environments right it put it's not and as an like as an elite athlete this is the worst thing i could possibly say but doing these kind of i suppose adventure style things are way more memorable than me winning you know major races around the world um races it's just every time but people like if i walk down and meet someone the first thing i'm kind of getting these days is like i've seen that stuff you're doing Mm. um that running stuff and I'll, i'll ask them well what's what's what was your favorite and nine out of ten times it'll be either you know something dangerous like looking yeah. well at least looking dangerous right i saw your bungee jumping a mountain bike which in effect isn't dangerous yeah. but you know people saw it they remember it um racing what well, it's think just maybe, racing i don't know what's the answer to that i mean i, I kind of scratch my head sometimes well, and go, I think why it's attainable to go into the wilderness with a camera and take a cool photo or take a GoPro in. But, like, I don't think people can relate in the same way to, like, a crazy triathlon. So I think people can be impressed by it and see it for what it is, but I don't think that there's an element of, like, wanderlust. Like, I don't have wanderlust for watching you cross the finish line in a triathlon like i just <laughs> yeah. don't because that the what uh, what you immediately associate that with is all the training pain in your legs running and all of the stresses of being in a competitive environment so i look at that and i'm like that's fucking impressive but i'm not looking at that going i really want to do that what on the other hand like with say the japan thing i'm looking at that completely impressed by it but there's also that element of like, man, maybe I could do something like that one day. And, you know, a lot of a lot of people will never do that, right? But there is more of a cap- – you have more of a capability of sitting at your computer and getting a little bit of escapism through that, you know, living vicariously through that kind of experience than a triathlon. I think they're both equally as impressive in terms of what it takes to do it. And mate, the triathlon stuff more so probably but yeah i think it's just that element of um relatability to people people can go and experience that or even on a smaller scale like they could watch that clip and fire up and go this weekend i'm gonna go to byron and i'm gonna go do the lighthouse trail yeah 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 Yeah. recreation right In in the end it's um and then that's why i'm glad to be in this industry i'm like i'm super stoked that i went from um and I keep saying went from. I mean, the fact of the matter is I'm still racing. Like, again, I just finished racing and I'll, you know, come April, I'm running one of the major trail – training at the moment for one of the major trail races in Australia. But in between all that, I'm just stoked that I'm kind of promoting something that can have benefits for everyone not across the board of health but also just, you know, headspace of actually getting out of there, getting away from the, yep. you know, the whole city lifestyle and getting out in nature a bit and, you know, if – I'm only kind of skewing the view of, you know, a few people each time to actually get out there and, and experience something different. Um, I'm doing my job all right, eh? That's it. <laughs> all right, mate. Well, we'll wrap it up. I really appreciate your time. I know that you're a very busy dude, so we'll let you get out of here. I'm, I've enjoyed the combo, mate. I, I have too. Thanks for having us, James. No drama. See you, mate. And there you have it. 
chapter 14 of the podcast with Mr. Courtney Atkinson. Um, if you haven't gone and checked out his Instagram already, then get on that at Mr. Courtney Atkinson. He just posts some incredibly cool shit that will get you fired up to get outside and get amongst it. Um, thanks again to Crush Oz for everything they've done to support the podcast. If you want to get a hold of us, um, send through any guest ideas, any feedback, any just generally have a yarn of your own uh, at Gypsy Tales Podcast on Instagram and the same on Facebook. Some of the stuff that has actually really been helping get the word out there is you guys screenshotting when you're listening to the podcast. So we've, um, we've had a bunch of people do that and that always actually really helps out. As always, guys, thanks for listening and we look forward to bringing you guys more episodes of the podcast.